Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey, I'm back. I realize it's been over a year since I posted my first couple book reviews, uh, book group videos for the book Women Who Run With The Wolves. And, and yeah, I was sad to have stopped. I, I did keep reading the book, but I just didn't keep up with making the videos and the book group never really came to fruition. But I still think it's been helpful for me to create this structure for me to be reflecting on what I read. And it's such a dense book that without some kind of journaling and practice where I can maybe discuss it with others or hear others' ideas, it's harder for me to really get the depth that I want out of the book. Um, As I said in my other videos, uh, the book Women Who Run With The Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes has been a really impactful book for me, and I really recommend you go back and watch my um, book review, the first video that I posted. Um, kind of giving my overview of of my history with reading this book and how it's impacted my life. And yeah, I'm just back at it again. And I was rereading the first chapter, which is would have been my next chapter to share with you guys. So I figured I'd come on and share some of the insights that I had from this chapter. It's it's interesting, you know, the, the introduction, um, which I talked about in another video, uh, was sort of dense and hard for me to get through. And, and I remember the first chapter dives right into a few stories, and these stories were really impactful for me. Like, the imagery in them has stuck with me. Um, so the first chapter is called The Howl, Resurrection of the Wild Woman. And I love how she starts off just reviewing and reiterating the value of the story and of using story... Uh, to feed the inner world. I love that she brought up that there's several levels of hearing. And when you're listening to a story, it's best to use one of, one of those levels and not all three of them. And the three levels, uh, the three levels where you have one type of hearing that's for mundane conversations of the world. So I see that as like, almost like my rational mind, um, logical thinking or information. Um, yeah, 
logic is what I was thinking with that. And that's the type of hearing we use most in this culture. And it's the type of hearing I use most as more of a math and science person identified um, throughout my life. So there's that. And then the second type of hearing is for learning and art. And I always think of that as like where things are just a little bit more connected. It's not like these little packets of information. It's like a network of information. And that's something I've been really wanting to feel more and use that type of hearing more. So when I'm listening to someone tell a lecture or when I'm reading information, instead of just taking that information in through my first level of hearing, I try and actually add it to the map that I have created in my brain of all the things that are connected to that. So that's how I interpret the second level of hearing. And then the third level of hearing she talks about is the hearing for the soul to hear guidance and to gain knowledge. And yeah, I can't really describe that any other way, but maybe the intuition and she calls it the soul voice. Um, And so, yeah, that's a type of hearing that I've been wanting to access more and it's really challenging, especially if you stay within the first two levels a lot. Um, It's almost like sometimes that hearing doesn't seem to use words. A lot of times we'll use images. And in the same way, you know, going back to story, uh, stories enter through that third type of hearing is my interpretation of what she said. So the story and the imagery and the archetypes and, yeah, the journey that the characters are going on, um, you could take it through the first level of hearing and just hear the facts of what's happening. You could take it through the second level of hearing and you can see how it's all connected. Maybe it's even connected to your life and you can kind of hear that. But maybe the third level of hearing a story is not even trying to make sense of it, but just letting it letting its essence kind of fill you and guide you and inspire you. That's kind of what I was feeling. So the first story she tells is Loloba. And the Loloba is a story of the wolf woman, the bone woman. Um, She uses a bunch of names. I didn't really write them down. For this archetype of the old woman, the old crone, the wise woman, um, it has to do with our instinctual nature and yeah, she really does a beautiful job of describing it. I highly recommend reading that story. And she talks about um, how that is just one of many archetypes, but it's not, it's not like the mother archetype or the maiden archetype or the inner child. It's a whole nother level of inner being and inner archetype that is even maybe more ancestral and more um, I, I want to say the word like primordial, like it's older than time. And so she talks about that, that archetype is all of those things. Um, the story itself is really visually inspiring. Like you're seeing this woman drive around, um, picking up bones. And then after she's created the whole skeleton of the wolf, she sings her soul song over this skeleton and the flesh starts to fill in and she keeps singing and the, the wolf comes back to life and runs away down a canyon. And at the very end, she, she says the wolf transforms into a, a laughing woman running down the canyon. So, so much sim- symbology and, um, 
interesting archetypes in there. So some of the things I was kind of thinking about when she was talking is the the symbol of the desert. Uh, she talks about the desert in your psyche because because a lot of times in these stories in this book, she talks about how all the characters and all the aspects in the story are actually just parts of your psyche. They're not outside of you. It's not the desert that you're in. It's the desert of your psyche. So what does that mean to me? Um, hmm. It's, it's sort of like this place that you maybe have tried to go to, but you can't find anything there and it maybe just feels frustrating. It's like one of the things that came to mind is like being alone and being quiet, like being in a deprivation tank or trying to meditate. Um, the desert is kind of that place where you don't know where to turn. And, and for a lot of us, including me, sometimes it's like painful to be in there and you just want to get out. You just want to distract yourself or medicate yourself or figure out a way to not be there because it's... Hmm, I got a bug on me. Boop. And the other, some of the other specific symbols that she uses are obviously the old woman archetype, the wolf, um... And I just love when she talks about the wolf because it's so cool thinking about the similarities. And she talked a little bit about that in the introduction too, so I don't want to go too deep into that. But I love the archetype of the wolf and the woman and the kind of connection between those two. Another big one was the singing. Um, you know, singing itself just as an act is, it feels very magical and in terms of those three levels of hearing it definitely lives outside of the first realm it lives in the art and learning it lives in that soul voice um and that's in some ways like singing is really scary for me to especially sharing singing because it just feels really vulnerable and it doesn't really make rational sense why it would feel so vulnerable because it's just singing like people sing but for some reason I get really nervous and I can talk in front of people like I teach and I t talk in front of people all the time but somehow singing has always been much more nerve-wracking so she talks about the symbol of singing um using your soul voice and it's just one example of how you can sort of breathe life into the different aspects of your life um and that brings me to the bones I think the bones are maybe the the biggest symbol that she uses in this chapter um and I struggled when I first read this story I struggled to come up with like a tangible it's like my logical brain was trying to go in and like say what is the bone what is what does she mean you know is it it's not really a bone so what is it what does it mean what does it symbolize so in thinking about the bones and what kind of I came to uh there was some more clarity near the end of the chapter too and so my my thought with the bones was that the bones are the pieces of you that you kind of left behind that are really core to who you are. So for, for example, maybe there's something, there's something in your personality or a hobby or something you were really passionate about when you were young and you've kind of lost touch with it. That to me is a bone. And uh, on another level, a bone could be what our culture and our humanity has lost touch with, like um, certain aspects of tribalism or just certain practices that our ancestors had 
as part of their culture that we don't have anymore. Those feel like bones to me. So the word that comes to mind for bones is like remembering and remembering and excavating. Because <laughs> that's what you do with bones. When you're looking for bones, you're, you're digging and you're brushing and you're cleaning off. And that's, it really is what it feels like when you're really looking for those what are the core aspects of who you are? Like, what makes you you? What, what's your mission? What's your purpose here? Um, what, what are your passions? In the book, she said, the bone is similar to a seed. The bone is the key to life. And she's digging in the dirt to find the bone. So she talks about, I love the part where she talks about digging and how it feels like a symbol when we're digging, when we're gardening, when we're harvesting, when we're digging up roots. Um, it, it feels like a symbol of digging in our psyche for these deep uh, core parts of who we are. I wanted to share another quote about the bones and about the, yeah, what the bones represent. So she says, this is our meditation practice as women calling back the dead and dismembered aspects of ourselves, calling back the dead and dismembered aspects of life itself. So I think that kind of sums it up. It's, it's, um, yeah. And again, I don't really think those things are dead or else we wouldn't be able to bring them back to life. But I think that's the idea is that we, we find them, we resuscitate them and then we sing the soul song over them and bring them back to life. And that's, a really good lesson and an important journey to go on that I think we're all on whether we like it or not um I want to share a little bit about the second story before I share some questions I loved the second story it's really short it's called the four rabini or rabinim I don't know how to say that but it's about four rabbi who are shown the wheel of Ezekiel and it doesn't say much about what that is, but I think it's beside the point. And <laughs> talks about how the first one uh, comes back and has lost his mind, and he runs off frothing at the mouth. He's absolutely crazy. The second one, after seeing the wheel of Ezekiel, feels really cynical. And he says, oh, it was nothing. It wasn't real. You know, it was just a dream. Um, the, third, the third rabbi came back, and he was just obsessed with what he saw and he really wanted to put it into words and he lectured about it and everyone he met, he wanted to tell them about what he saw and create meaning out of it. And the fourth rabbi, who was a poet, he wrote poetry and he lived his life better than before. And it feels like the moral of the story is that the best way to experience the wheel of Ezekiel, which I guess symbolizes, um, yeah, seeing what's on the other side, seeing what's really deep inside, is is to first of all be prepared and to use some kind of art form to make sense of it. Instead of trying to make sense of it through your logical mind, um, because it'll either make you crazy or it'll make you obsessed um, or you might dismiss it. So 
some of the ideas uh, they had were to use poetry, like the fourth rabbi. You can use music, dance, and of course, story. Yeah, the lesson, the lesson feels like she said something about how you don't want to have too much fascination, but you don't want to have too little fascination. You don't want to have too much awe, but you also don't want to have too much cynicism. Um, you want bravery, but you don't want to be reckless. So it's sort of like this middle, the middle space of experiencing the, this world between worlds that she speaks of. Um, and, and it just brings up to me, yeah, meditation and different practices like aesthetic dance and things that have brought me to a place where things just feel different and you can't really explain it. And so I can see how trying to explain it can, um, can kind of ruin it or diminish it. So my question for you, and one of my first prompts that I want to give is, and I'll share these in the comments in case you wanted to reply, but I will just tell you what my answer is too. Um, my, my prompt is, share a story when you identified with one of the four rabbini, or in general, which of the four do you identify with? Um, and I, you know, the first, the first one that I identified with the most was probably the third rabbi who was obsessed and lectured. You know, I think I, I tend to want to put things into words and it's a way that I process and make sense of things and to a fault, you know, it can be a really helpful practice to try and, yeah, share with other people. Um, but it also can be frustrating. Like sometimes I have something that I really want to share that I feel really excited about. Um, and... I can't really put it into words in that in a way that justifies it, and then the people I'm sharing it with just don't understand. And so it's it can be kind of frustrating to be that way. Um, I've definitely been cynical too, so I probably those two are the ones that I've I've gone to in the past of just like um, not thinking not thinking my experiences were real that they're sort of just imaginary which is funny to think about because in a way everything is imaginary uh, but it can feel like there's reality and then there's imagination and and our brains really want us to think that at least so that's something that I've felt is that is that cynicism um, the good news is according to this book the soul spirit can be injured and even maimed, but it is nearly impossible to kill. So that's, that's great. So if you feel, <laughs> and I've felt this before, if you feel like those parts of you that used to be there are just long gone, like there's no use in trying to get them back. Or if it feels like you don't even know where to start, or then just know that it's still possible to gain that. You know, you're never too old. It's never too late. It's never too late to connect with yourself and to connect with that part of yourself that's been missing and that has been suppressed or ostracized or whatever. So if there is something you were really into as a kid, um, a hobby or an art form, um, singing, dancing, painting, yeah, just remembering the joy that you felt in those, in whatever that was for you and 
and bringing that curiosity back. It's, it's hard at first because we're so not used to it, but I think it's really important to, to at least try. Um, another really cool quote I wrote down, this self, and she's speaking of the soul self, this self must have the freedom to move, to speak, to be angry, and to create. And I love those four words. I wrote them in really big words. <laughs> to move, to speak, to be angry, and to create. <sighs> All four of them. Just in so many ways, they've been, at least in my life, they feel, they feel squashed. They feel hard to access. It's hard in our culture and it's hard in my life to remember to move and to move in a way that feels good and to move intuitively and to move the way I want to move. It's hard to speak. It's hard to use your voice. It's hard to speak up. This is hard. It's hard to record myself speaking and it's hard to share truths or wonderings or curiosities. And especially right now, like it's, it's really hard to share and to speak. It's very hard for me to be angry, especially, you know, in front of people. Um, anger is a very demonized um, emotion. And yeah, I have a lot of curiosities around that. And then lastly, to create, you know, cre that's a big one because I feel like a, there's an epidemic of motivation and creation um, disorder where we're all, I, at least I just feel like everyone I talk to lately is feeling a block of some sort, a creative block, whether it's like, oh, I used to really be, I used to really love painting or I used to really love writing songs, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's easy to feel blocked and unmotivated and then beat yourself up for it. And then in doing that, making yourself even more blocked. And yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot and how to move through that and how to find creativity in everything you do and lately you know one of the main ways that I create is by just baking myself food and it sounds really simple but like it seems like one of those things that we it's like a it's like a given you of course you need to make yourself food you need to feed yourself you need to eat but thinking of making food as a creative thing um that I'm excited to do and then I'm excited to eat it and that process um really helps bring me back to that feeling of creation. And from that, I build that muscle. I build that energy towards creating the other things that I've always wanted to create. And even though it's hard at first, um, try and start with something that you're naturally motivated to do, no matter how small, as long as it's creating and not just consuming. So thinking about what you can create, maybe you can create photography or yeah, write, write your thoughts and thinking of some way. And, and it's almost like, I, I want to say, I can give you all the ideas, but I think you know how you want to create. So follow that. Follow it and it, it's not less important than the most important things that you think you need to do. The only thing that's really important is the thing you want to do. Because if you do that, if you create that thing, it'll start, it'll start that momentum. And again, it'll build that muscle of creation and motivation. <sighs> the soul song. So I wrote a little thing about the soul song just to kind of end this um, 
that all the soul song needs is breath, trust, and your longing. And that kind of encompasses everything we've talked about, like the breath. To me, that represents meditation and embodiment and coming back to a centered space um, and, and yeah, connecting with your really deep inner self your truth, you know, that's kind of going goes along with speaking. Your truth is, um, yeah, who you who you are, and like your conviction and your beliefs and your passions um, and longing. Your longing is, like I said, you're longing to create something, no matter what it is, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant you think it is. That is really important and that is what's going to create your soul song so that you can collect all the bones and sing the soul song using your breath, using your truth, using your longing, sing your soul song into the bones and bring them back to life. Bring your, your wild woman, instinctual self, wolf personality <laughs> back to life through that process. I wanted to leave you with a couple more questions and I'll, again, I'll write them down in the comments if you want to share your thoughts. Um, they're, in, they're from the book. I just stole them from the book, but they're so good. The first one is, what has happened to my soul voice? You know, and this isn't about being a victim. It's just taking inventory, you know. What, what happened? What happened to you? what little moments or big moments or moments that happened over and over again really squashed your ability to move and speak and be angry and create <laughs> what happened to that part of you that that had a voice you know what happened to that soul voice what happened to you listening what happened to that that small child who who knew what their needs were and who would ask for them or go get them um what happened to your intuition what happened to your connection uh to your inner wisdom and you know maybe you'll come up with something um this is something I'm not really super sure about because I feel like it wasn't a specific thing but I think it has a lot to do with for me has a lot to do with um like I've talked a little bit about our, you know, school and our culture and the, in, the culturation that we go through that, again, I don't want to demonize at all, but it's, and it's just part of the story and it's part of the journey and I'm grateful for it. But a lot of it is putting other people first, you know, and my value being, it's, it's the people pleaser, right? My value being how good am I at, um, making other people feel good, you know, making other people feel comfortable. Maybe I don't want to be angry because it, I know I'm so sensitive to how other people feel that if I'm angry and it, it, it makes other people feel um, uncomfortable, then I feel that. And that's more painful than holding the anger in. So I've chosen over the years to just hold my anger in or dissociate from it completely. Cause honestly, it doesn't even really feel like I have it anymore. Um, you know, movement is another one that we've, that I feel like I've had a journey with of like, it's easy for me to be up in my head and to forget 
where my body is and how it needs to move. Like even just sitting right here recording this, like I haven't moved enough. Um, and yeah, creating, like I said, like, uh, it's hard when your motivations are external. It's hard when you're getting grades and carrots and sticks and your, or punishments even when you're, you're all of your motivations to create are for someone else, um, and for a deadline and for a rule. And, and then when it comes to your own things that you want to do, it's hard. It's hard to motivate yourself because that muscle is weak. You haven't had to do it and you haven't had to create your own dopamine. You know, you haven't had to follow through and it can feel really hard and depressing, but I don't want you to beat yourself up for that. Just know that like the culture we're in is not really supportive of that self-motivation. And so that's what's happened to me, I think. And maybe you see parallels. I don't know. The last question I want to share is what are the buried bones of your life? And that one took me a while and it's still, it's, I think I'm still uncovering. I still haven't found them all, but, uh, I think I mentioned some of them, you know, I think (sighs) the biggest one that's coming to mind right now is nature, nature connection. And I luckily never strayed too far from that, but just whether it's plants and like making potions or just observing nature and feeling like swimming and being in water and jumping in creeks. Like those are some of the bones that have been buried and I am definitely uncovering. Um, other ones are, I, I did really used to love singing. That, that's something I'm still on a journey with and maybe eventually I'll share, but it's so hard. It's so hard for me to share. So not only is it hard for me to do it <laughs> because there's so much wrapped up in it. It's so it's such an emotional, vulnerable place. But when I was a kid, it was like, no problem. Like little kids, they just sing. You know, it's like I would watch Disney movies and just be belting it out alongside the movie, you know? So singing is, is definitely a buried bone in my life. Um, and dancing, of course. And I've come a long way with that. Luckily, I'm so grateful for my movement practice and intuitive movement and things like that. Hmm. And then I'm trying to think of other bones. Uh, yeah, again, I think of things that I was into as a kid, but I also think of like things that feel deeply ancestral. You know, I think about our DNA is programmed to come into this world, um, maybe expecting in some ways certain things, um, And there's lots of research that's gone into, you know, the best things for humans, whether it's what humans are supposed to eat ancestrally or what, what did that like quote unquote tribal society look like? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I do know that deep down I've had feelings. I've had these rememberings where I've experienced something that really felt like, whoa, And usually it's just a good feeling. You know, this feels good. This feels right. Um, And like I said, that's being close to nature and moving my body and using my voice, um, connecting in community, of course, uh, especially just deep connection with a small group of people feels really good. And um, so bringing that back to... Hmm... Yeah, and then cooking. I mean, cooking 
and making potions, working with plants. Like these are all things that feel not only like a remembrance from my own childhood, but a remembrance from a time before my life and before many generations of my ancestors when we were more connected and when we were using using what was around us to feed us and for medicine. Um, yeah, so I'm really drawn to those practices that, that encourage and support that. And I'd love to hear what you think about those questions. So I'm going to repeat them. The first one was share a story when you identified with one of the four rabbi. So I really recommend reading that story so you know what I'm talking about. The other questions were, what has happened to your soul voice? And the last question is, what are the buried bones of your life? Thank you for watching and catch me next time for chapter two. Bye. Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.